So I want to begin with a question. What should the people of God be doing until Jesus returns? And what should the church, what should the, the gathering of believers be known for? What should mark the church? Because if you look around, there are many philosophies of, of ministry. Into the writing of books, into the scheduling of conferences, into the hiring of consultants, there is no end. Church building is big business. And there are many people who make their living and who spend a lot of money and put a lot of effort into these amazing strategies to be able to grow the church. And I haven't been a pastor long, but as a pastor, I get emails and I get calls and I get letters every week from companies who have the new next best thing on how to grow your church. We can do this for you. We can do this for you. And it's all this process or this thing that you have to buy or someone you have to hire, of course. But don't tell anyone. Studying this week, I found the secret. I've got the, the, the secret sauce. I'm going to share it with you this morning. And the amazing thing about it is you can do it with five people or you can do it with 5,000. You can do it in freedom or you can do it in persecution. You can do it in a building You can do it without a building. And if you do it, your church will grow. Sound easy enough? It's easier and it's simpler than anything that uh, marketing gurus have spent countless hours putting together. And it's right in front of you. Because if we really want to know what Jesus desires, what Jesus finds most important for his people, we can go to Jesus. Because we can see what Jesus did in the last hours with his disciples. What did Jesus do in in the final time he had with them? What did he find most important? And what was their response? And what did the church do after that? It grew. Why would we search high and low to find some new philosophy? And just because it's 2018 that, that we have to come up with something new. God hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. Who Christ is and what he did has not changed. So what we do should not change either. We're not, we're not creating something new here. And we're going to see this morning the three things that we see at the end of Luke in the last few verses. Where people being counseled in the word. Being called to witness. And then continuing in worship. If you want to sum up, the Christian life should be rooted in the word, called to witness, continuing in worship. Very simple, very easy. And when I was called here and thought about who do we want to be, what type of people do we want to be known as? What should be most important here? If you want to see what the mission and vision is, it's back on the, uh, the uh, board back there and it hasn't changed and it won't change because I wanted to put scripture together as, as closely as I could and draw from scripture. And we, we talk about our vision every week to be people who tell. It's based on Psalm 96.2. It's all over the room, so you, you, you can't forget it. We start by teaching truth. Because in this passage, we will see that's what Jesus did. Before I call you to ministry, I want to make sure you see that the Old and New Testament all points to me. We start by teaching truth. And if we know that this truth points to Christ, he is exalted. And when Christ is exalted and God is glorified, our hearts are stirred in affection. When we see people living it out, when we see people singing They hear and they feel the love of Jesus. Their love grows in the Lord. And as we grow, we're able to lead one another in the spirit. This is a simple formula. It's not a formula I came up with. It's just looking at scripture. It's looking at the pattern. 
what does Paul find most important? Start with doctrine. Point them to Christ. Love the Lord. And then here's what you do with it. Radically simple. But yet our culture tries to complicate things. We try to use our own human wisdom to come up with reasons and ways to do things in a new way. But really, the gospel is simple. God hasn't changed and Jesus hasn't changed. And so uh, it's not something we do very often, but I'd like to just kind of share some of the things that I'm celebrating in this congregation. I wanted Hunter to share that and is a great example. Part of the reason why Hunter and his wife Meredith have come here, and if you haven't got a chance to meet them, please do. One of the main reasons they decided to accept my invitation to come is because they heard a lot of the stories of, of, of you guys, what God is doing here. The first story I want to share is, some of you have heard this, most of you probably have not, is of my grandmother. Most of you may know or may not know that my grandmother has been in this church 17, maybe going on 18 years. As the church was declining, she was struggling on what to do. She felt strongly that the Lord told her, stay and pray for the church. And for years, she faithfully prayed for the church. She prayed for the kingdom of God to be proclaimed in this church. She prayed for there to be expository preaching that people be raised up in the word. And so when the previous pastor retired, she thought of me, I don't know why, but she called me and said, our pastor retired and we need someone to preach next week. Can you come in? And I came mostly because they were paying. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. I was, I was honored and I was flattered that I come and preach. But part of the reason why we're doing the Gospel of John next week is when we were talking about what book we were going to study for, for Bible study. My grandmother was so excited. She wanted to study John. She came and made a case for it. She had printouts and everything. And we felt so bad saying, well, more people want to study Romans. That's why we're in Romans. But I wanted to honor that. And so we're going to go through John because it's a great book. Uh, but it's also a book she was excited to go through. And I want to honor her prayers throughout the years. Um, and I can go around the room with example after example. Jay in his testimony shared that he came to Christ reading the Gospel of John. This very thing we're going to start doing next week. I love Jay and Shana's heart for witnessing. Shana does, is not comfortable speaking to people, but God keeps putting people in her life where she gets to share Christ with them. And it's incredible. I'm enjoying sitting down with Andrew and Chloe and, and going through catechisms with them and seeing them learn and seeing them grow and seeing them understand from week to week. I love Deshaun and Bree's heart for the word and heart for the church. I love hearing all of you sing and in worship. I love Jonathan and Sarah's example in their home of family worship. Violet is three years old. She probably has more scripture memorized than I do. I love that uh, George, who has been here for you know, seven, eight months or, or so, and just to see him get excited about what he's learning and, and growing it and want to go outside of himself. And there are so many of those examples. Juan shared with me a, a few weeks ago, when we were talking about reading the Bible with someone, he said, that's how I came to Christ. He was working on a job site. And during their lunch breaks in the middle of hot Florida summer, they're sitting under a, a tree and his friend says, Do you, would you want to read through the New Testament? And, and so they, he starts going through Matthew with it. He didn't know I was going to mention this, but he actually brought the uh, Bible that, that he used then uh, the, to, to church this morning, which is, which is really cool. And we can go again and again through these. Think about uh, Daniel when, when we talked about your conversion. They were going through the book of Nehemiah. And Daniel recognized that, that he had walls that, needed, that he needed to be broken down so he could be rebuilt. 
Just example after example in the body of how God works in people, how our witness is used to affect others, how our worship encourages each one of us. And those are the things, and I can keep going and I can keep going, but those are some of the things that I'm celebrating. When people talk about what's going on in the church, those are the things I tell them. And those are the things we should celebrate, that we are people who are rooted in, in God's word. People who, we have good news and we're excited to share it. People who are known for our worship and praise of the Lord. So with that being said, uh, let's get into Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read from 44 in chapter 24 to, uh, to verse 53. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We bless your holy name. You are high and lifted up, exalted over all the earth. And just pray that you administer in the name of Jesus, the only name in which man can be saved. Thank you for what you're doing in this body. Thankful that you, thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you chose us. We're not wise in the things of this world who are feeble in our, in our efforts, who are weak, yet help us to find our strength in you. Help us to be bold because of who we are in you and to find our encouragement in the gospel, that our identity is being buried to our sin and death with you and rising to new life with you and awaiting your return in victory and glory so that we can be glorified with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the purpose of the book of Acts, um, flip over to, or excuse me, purpose of the book of Luke is in the beginning of the book of Acts. So, so keep your finger in Luke. Go over to uh, the first couple verses in Acts. And if you didn't know, Luke wrote Luke, surprisingly enough, and he wrote Acts. And so... Acts can actually be continued, uh, can, can be read continually right after the end of Luke. But if you look at the first couple verses of the book of Acts, you'll see what his purpose is in Luke, and it will help us understand why he closes the way he does. Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is Luke's goal. I want you to know what Jesus did, what Jesus commanded, who he is, and I want you to know about the Holy Spirit. We're going we're gonna to get into that a little bit because um, the end of Luke sets us up great for Acts. And it also sets us up great for the seeds of the church. What did the early church look like? Because the early church was founded by the apostles in, in the words that Jesus used here. This was the training that they needed. This was gospel ministry 101. This was Jesus seminary right here. The first thing that happened is they encountered the risen Christ. Jesus was alive. The first thing that we see uh, right before this, this passage is that he ate with them. This is not accidental. This was so that any heretics out there to say that Jesus was not fully human when he rose from the dead would be reminded he ate fish. So they encountered Christ the man. And they end up worshiping Christ God after he's ascended. And so this is a great picture of how Jesus' ministry was worked out before our very eyes. I mean, this is what Jesus' seminary looks like. This is him teaching, explaining, charging, commissioning, empowering, blessing. And then it results in worship and praise. And I wish I could tell you that that's what seminary is like, but it's really not. (laughs) So the first thing we want to see here in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be completed. While I was still with you, this is post-resurrection Jesus drawing attention to pre-resurrection Jesus. What I taught you before and what I'm teaching you now are the same thing, and I want to remind you of that. And all scripture is about Christ, my words. You see how in the same breath, he says, all that is written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. We've talked about this before. But in the Hebrew scriptures, the the Tanakh, those are the the, the three divisions of the Old Testament scriptures. The law of Moses, the prophets, all the history and the prophets, and the writings. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. All of them pointing to Christ. And in the same breath, Jesus says, these are my words. This is what is spoken of me. Remember it all. Old Testament, Psalms, Prophets, Law, New Testament, my words, it all must be fulfilled. It's the first thing we need to understand that this is why we have a unified scriptures. This is why we read from the Old and New Testament. We go over this over and over and over again because there are so many uh, distortions of this today. Either the Old Testament is discounted uh, or, or, it's, or it's distorted uh, or it's just moral while the New Testament is salvific. And that could not be further from the truth because Jesus taught himself from the Old Testament. Everything must be fulfilled. Everything that's pointing toward Christ must be fulfilled because whatever God begins, he will finish. He will accomplish. So all the words that I spoke to you before must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Think about that. That's just an amazing thought that he opened their minds. Because unless your mind is opened by almighty God, you're going to look at the scripture as if it's the Chinese phone book. But he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
It's like Jesus flipped on a light in a dark room and all of a sudden they understood this. This, this word opened is, is, is a rich word in the Greek. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's like they, they fully understood. Wide open, fully open. The same word is used in verse 31 and verse 32. In the same chapter. Look at Luke, Luke 24, verse 31 and 32. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? There's this connection of their eyes being opened and the scriptures being opened before their very eyes. That's why Jesus uses this eyes to see and ears to hear as a gift from God. It is bestowed from Christ on those who are his so they can read and understand who he is. This is step one to any ministry. To any ministry. You must know the risen Christ. And he must open your eyes and he must open your ears to know who he is throughout all of scripture. And it's like they went from black and white to color. It's like they went from dial up to fiber optic. And if you millennials don't know what dial up is, you are way better off. It's like they went from well done to medium rare. It's like, ah, I know how to get a good reaction out of that one. When you encounter the risen Christ, he will open your eyes. And we'll see in a moment, he will send the Holy Spirit to confirm everything that he has said. This is a great thing to pray for. I've prayed this prayer many times. Lord, help me understand. Open my eyes. Help me to read your word. Help me to know you. And if I can just give you a little secret, this is my favorite part about ministry. When I see someone's eyes opened, when I see someone makes the connection, like, oh, wait, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And this is what this means. When the proverbial light bulb goes off in their head, I, 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 I love it. It's like a it's 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 a very pious and spiritual high that, that, you, that, that you get to see someone understand who Christ is from the scriptures. And as long as the Holy Spirit is still doing that, I will still be doing this. And he opened their minds to the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. These are the facts of the gospel. Three things. The Christ, suffer, and rise again. First thing we need to look at um, is the Christ. So if you're going to explain the gospel, you must have the facts right. You cannot have the gospel without these three things. Without the Christ, without him dying, and without him rising again. But it's interesting here. Jesus doesn't say that thus it is written, I must die and rise again. He said the Christ. This is very particular. This is very important. Because the Christ in Scripture have been talked about since Genesis 3.15. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God was prophesied about for about 4,000 years in Scripture. And the Christ... Only one Christ must suffer and die. And the Christ had to be perfectly man because only man could pay for the penalties of his sins. And had to be perfectly God because only God could stand the wrath of God poured out for sins. This is interesting that we find ourselves, this is the man who just ate. He just ate fish with you. And he's saying that the Messiah who must come from the line of David, who must be of the seed of Abraham, who must be a man, is eating among you. 
And he knew that he'd be called up to heaven in just a moment, and it would be clear that he was God. And so that these two would come together perfectly in him. First, you must know that for the gospel, we have to have Christ. And if it is not the Christ, the Messiah, the perfect one, the perfect sacrifice, it is not the gospel. If he's not man, it's not the gospel. If he's not God, it's not the gospel. If he wasn't perfect, it's not the gospel. If he didn't die and rise again on the third day, it's not the gospel. All of you know that. Any one of you can do it. If you know who Jesus is, you know that he suffered on behalf of sin, and you know he rose again from the dead to conquer sin and death forever, you know the gospel. And that is what is necessary for redemption. Perfect sacrifice, death, and new life. So those are the gospel facts. And then we got in verse 47, the gospel proclamation. So he says, thus it is written, gospel facts, and that also written that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 47, there's a lot here. So gospel, the gospel facts are not separated from gospel proclamation. Again, we have three things. Repentance, forgiveness of sins, and in the name of Jesus. Very important. There is no gospel without repentance. There is no gospel without forgiveness. And there is no gospel without Jesus. Should be simple. But again, you don't, we, we don't need to come up with some new philosophy here with how to evangelize. We don't need to come up with some new formula for how the gospel works. It's the same it always has been. And without these three, again, it is not the gospel. Remember, I told you to keep your, your finger in Luke, or excuse me, in, in Acts. Uh, look at Acts chapter 2. There's a perfect example of this. This is exactly what they did. This is exactly what Peter does. And he's standing before these, these Israelites who know the Old Testament. And after he goes through some Old Testament examples, look how he closes his sermon and look at the result. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Undeniable gospel. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calleth himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked uh, generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added uh, that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. If there is one line that is appropriate to our culture, it is uh, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. So what does true repentance look like? Because this is a really good question. Because in an age where people are counting baptisms uh, as if someone who makes some emotional response and goes back to sinning two days later, or uh, we have this watered-down version of what it means to just accept God's love and everything it will, will be fine, what does true repentance looks like, look like? And if we walk through the scriptures, uh, we read Psalm 51 intentionally to set us up here. We see David's heart after he sinned. 
after he sent Uriah to his death and slept with his wife. David cried out before God. And so four things we see to mark true repentance. One, there has to be a recognition of guilt. Step one, admit there's a problem. We have to understand that there is guilt. Two, there has to be a desire for justice. There has to be a a recognition of a fault that was that, that, that happened and justice that must be done. I have sinned. Something is wrong here. Something needs to be rectified. Number three, to recognize that reconciliation with God is required. It is against you and you only who have sinned against. So we've got this admission that there's a problem, recognition of guilt, desire for justice, and a desire for reconciliation. And then lastly, a true change of action. We see in Psalm 51 that David goes from being burdened with his sin and just being heavy laden with telling, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell of, of your good deeds. I'm going to turn from my ways and I will never stop praising you because of my contrite and broken heart. And it was only that contrite and broken heart that David had that could lead him to true repentance. So I just encourage you this week uh, to go through Psalm 51. When you feel arrogant, go through Psalm 51. When you forget the gospel, go through Psalm 51. When you think about, is someone really a Christian? Did they truly repent? Go through Psalm 51. It will probably give you the answer to that. And as we think about approaching the communion table, remember Psalm 51. That it is my transgressions that brought Christ to the cross. And I must and need justice to be done because God is just and he will not allow otherwise. And I must be reconciled to God. And it can only be done through Christ. And the result of my life will be a change of action. This is why communion is such an important part of what we do and will always be a part of what we do. All right, so at the end of verse 47, look here, uh, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning in Jerusalem, this is where everything started. The gospel, Jesus said, had to go to the Jews first. This is the center of the worship of Yahweh. This is where all of the people of God, who were truly the people of God, would come to worship. This is where the gospel must start, and it goes out from there. And we see that in the beginning of Acts. The gospel starts in Jerusalem. And Jews by the thousands are turning to Christ. And the gospel goes out from there. So this is written directly to them in Jerusalem. But there's also a modern uh, application for us as well. Because in our lives, the gospel begins at home. The gospel begins where we are. Jesus is saying, start in Jerusalem, start where you are and go out from there. Our first mission field, our first responsibility is in our homes. And then it is where we live. Because right now, I hate to break it to you, but America is is one of the the, the nations in the world that needs the gospel the most. We are starved of the gospel. And it is a great mission field. And we must begin where we are. And this is why as a people, we're going to go through the gospel of John. Not because we have this perfect approach. Like Hunter hit perfectly on the head. But because God is faithful, he's calling us to be obedient. 
Because we love our neighbors so much that we want them to know the risen Christ. We want them to know the peace that passes understanding. We want their eyes to be open. We want their ears to be open. We want the gospel to change lives like it changed our life. Verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. The apostles saw the risen Christ with their eyes. They ate with him. They felt the holes in his hands, the scar in his side. They were direct witnesses. But, in addition, through their witness, we're reading the Gospel of John next week. Jesus' closest disciple, the one who Jesus loved, wrote down the time, about the time he walked with Christ. Through his witness, we have a direct witness. And I'm sure that Luke interviewed apostles. Matthew was an apostle. Mark wrote on behalf of the apostle Peter, as far as we understand. But in addition... If you have repented and believed, you have encountered the risen Christ. And with him, the promised Holy Spirit that they were about to receive, we have received. And that is all we need to be witnesses. And what are we witnessing to? Same gospel we just explained, the Christ. He died, rose again for forgiveness of sins. Repent and believe. It's the gospel. Wash, rinse, repeat. Just, it's... It's been working for 2,000 years. We don't need to change it now. Verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. What was promised in John 14, which we'll get to eventually sometime in the year 2021 or whatever, um, was promised in John 14 and fulfilled in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit that had to be sent to accomplish this ministry was coming. And Jesus promised it to them. The promise from the Father. The power that you will need to carry out this witness is the Holy Spirit. He didn't say go and and study for another 10 years and get enough knowledge. He said, no, I'm going to send you all the power you need in the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest thing I can send you. That's why Jesus said it was better that he should go. And he's about to go. Verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. This is on the Mount of Olives. We won't get into all that. but um, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. What does this look like? We don't know. Uh, it was probably a combination of words and uh, prayers. But whatever it was, he didn't bless them because of their works. He blessed them so that they could work. You see the, the, the difference here. The blessing came so that they could fulfill the mission. Christ raised his hands up to heaven. And said, by the power that the Father has given me, I am entrusting you with this gospel. Keep it and proclaim it. Send it out. And so that you don't screw it up, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so you can't screw it up. And this blessing, to be blessed by the Lord. This was probably a long blessing because it says while he blessed them, he was still speaking. Verse 51, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This is the ascension. Christ ascended from earth back to his rightful place, the throne of God, sitting at the right hand of God with all power and majesty on full display. I love what John Calvin says about this in his institutes. He says, being raised to heaven, he withdrew his bodily presence from our sight. Not that he might cease to be with his followers who are still pilgrims on this earth, 
but that he might rule both in heaven and on earth more immediately by his power. And what did they do when they saw Christ ascend? The first thing they did, and they worshiped. If you see the risen Christ, it should blow your mind. But you see him go up to heaven, and now he's on his throne of power and glory. You better worship, and you should worship. And that is the God we are worshiping. This is not some happy-go-lucky Jesus that we can stick on a t-shirt or a hat. This is the creator of the universe sitting on the throne of power and glory. If that's not worthy of our worship, nothing is. And that is the power of the gospel. Because the same Jesus who went to the grave for our sins and rose again on the third day is sitting on high. He rules this earth. Even though Satan has power and dominion for a season, we know who is ultimately in control. And we know in whose name we are speaking. You wouldn't be scared to share the gospel if you picture Jesus like Stephen did, seeing Jesus stand up and greet this faithful servant. That would give you energy to share the gospel if we remembered that Christ is on the throne. But many times we don't share the gospel because we have a weak Christ. It's true. Because if it's up to us in our power and Jesus is just sitting back there hoping we do the right thing, we have a weak Christ. But this is not the Christ who conquered the grave. This is not the Christ who is sitting on the seat of glory. This should give us boldness in our witness and confident in our identity. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They worshipped him. It's important to recognize because our God is a jealous God. You do not worship anyone who is not God. So the same man that they ate with is the same God that they worshipped. These two are inseparable. There is no Christ who is not fully God and who is not fully man because they worshipped him. If he was not God, that would be blasphemous and we should discount anything they say. But they worshipped him. I mean, the God of the Old Testament is worthy of our honor and praise, of course. But now that the Christ, the anointed one of God, has lived the perfect life, has died for the sake of sins, and has risen again on the third day and has ascended to the right hand of the Father, how much more should our worship go up to heaven? We should be as in awe as the disciples were, as if it happened right in front of our eyes. Because Peter says, though you do not now see him, you know him. We are as sure of that as they were. Verse 53. And they were continually in the temple praising God. When you are rooted in the word, you are called to witness and blessed by Christ himself. You can't help but praise. They were continually in the temple praising God. Praising the Lord is not just something that we do. It is a way of life. It is who we are. We are worshipers of the true and living God, the risen Christ. They were blessing God. Because of the blessings they received from Christ, they were blessing God. Seems a little weird to say bless God. Like, How can we bless God? In our prayers, we bless God. In our serving, we bless God. In our witness, we bless God. 
In our words, we bless God. In our teaching, we bless God. In our love for one another, we bless God. Our lives should be a continual witness to the blessings that we have received. We love because he first loved us. That's what it means to bless God. And they did this day after day after day because they were astounded at the life they had in Christ. As should we. So as we close this morning, I just want to remind us of where we've been. What does gospel ministry look like? stay counseled in the word. We remember our call to witness and we continually worship. It's pretty simple. Because in the word, we're told to pray, how to pray, to serve and how to serve, to love, how to love. And as the word transforms our lives, it strengthens our witness and it increases our worship. We are told what to do and the word tells us how we are to do it. We see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control that comes along from being changed by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus sent to the disciples He gave to us and we are to bear that fruit. And everything we do has to come from the Gospel and understanding of the Gospel and be for the Gospel. Paul said, I want to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And it's always going to be our focus here. Because that is the only thing that can bring life and life everlasting. It's repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ, his death, and his resurrection. Just want to close with a few words about the Gospel of John. We're going to start next week. Um, Hopefully you've all gone through the Gospel of John. Some more times than you can count. And it's a great thing to go through scripture together. And we must remember how great news it is that the word who created all things became flesh and walked among us. The great I am became I am for us. And I want us to be people who are so rooted in God's word, who are so transformed by the gospel, who are so encouraged by the gospel that we can't help but share it with someone else. I just want to encourage you to do that. If you have not gone through the gospel of John in your house and your family, do that. If, you, if there's someone who the Lord has been laying on your, your, your heart, reach out to them. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you what Jesus said about himself can we go through this together uh, we're going to do a live after five on on thursday i hope as many of you can be there as possible and we're not going to be there with with um megaphones calling people to repent and believe it's not really who we are hunter can put his megaphone back um but what we are going to do is we're going to get to know our our neighbors we're going to engage with them we're going to invite them to church because it's perfect timing to begin the gospel of john next week because We're just sinners, saved by grace, and we've got the cure to what ails them. It's not us, it's the gospel, the Christ, him died, and him resurrected for forgiveness of sins. That's who we're going to be, and that's why we're going uh, to go with the uh, huddled masses on uh, Thursday night, and we just hope that you join us, so let's, let's pray.
Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, holy beyond holiness, righteous beyond righteousness, King of kings, Lord of glory, Prince of peace, you reign supreme over all the earth. Lord, first and foremost, I want us to rest in your power and glory, that we can rest in you. You are reigning, and the finished work was accomplished by you. There's nothing else we need to do. But we get to be called your people. We get to be called to, you, to be your witnesses. We get to be your ambassadors. What a privilege it is that the God of the universe says, you are mine, we are yours. Let us be obedient, faithful children who is about our Father's business until, he, until our Savior returns. Lord, I just pray that your Spirit would use this, this time um, to encourage us, to challenge us as we approach the communion table, that we remember our sins were nailed to the cross, and it was only Christ who could have offered forgiveness for that. Let's pray that anyone who has unrepentant sins or anyone who does not know you will repent, will turn, will recognize guilt and come before you and seek justice and reconciliation so that their lives may be changed. And that we are people who are so changed by the gospel that this is ever our cry and ever our plea. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.